Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Venture Property Podcast. And thank you very much for listening. As I say, I absolutely love doing these podcasts and interviewing lots of different people. And I just am amazed at the amount of people and the amount of messages I get from people that listen to this podcast. So please keep it up and just being a little bit cheeky here. If you know anyone who might be interested in this podcast, please share it with them. Today, we are sponsored by Land Insight. Land Insight is the ultimate tool for people to find the deals that they need. It's something that I use on an almost daily basis to find land, to work through comps on similar properties, to do my due diligence, etc., etc. So it's a cracking tool for anybody in property. And they have, because they sponsor this podcast, they have extended their trial to anybody who listens to this podcast. So if you want to get access to that link, drop me an email, ryan at venturepropertylincoln.co.uk, and I'll sort that out for you. But moving on to today's podcast, today I have Rob Hodge on the podcast, who reached out to me via Facebook to share with me his property journey. So I looked into what he'd done and what he'd achieved so far, and I thought, this is a guy who you guys are going to absolutely love and one that I definitely want to speak to. Hi, Rob. How are you doing today? Really good. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, Thanks for having me on the show, and thanks for the kind words. No, thank you for reaching out to me. It's always great that people do that and people feel confident that they want to come on the show and they've got something to share, and I'm always happy to give those people a platform. So why don't you tell people who don't know who you are exactly who you are? Sure. Well, I'm Rob, Rob Hodge, um, and I'm one half of uh, our business, May Green Investments. Um, the other half is Sarah, who is my business partner and wife. Uh, we actually just recently got married to so a new wife. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you very much. So uh, we're a pretty new property development company, but I'd say we've achieved quite a lot in quite a really relatively short space of time. Mm. Um, We've gone from basically having zero properties uh, at the beginning of the year to having uh, done seven deals this year. So um, really focused on um, outsourcing and systemizing in order to allow us to grow. we're very, very uh, keen on um, good design as well and good quality in our projects. I love that you said the word outsourcing and systemizing. That literally raised my heart rate a little bit when I heard that just then. I was like, oh, I'm getting excited. Yeah. Very, very excited. And I'm sure we're, well, I'm definitely going to touch on that. Um, yeah. But what was the motivation then behind getting into property? And just before you answer that, I love how you said you were one half. Of, uh, of the company, and then you said business partner, then wife. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I probably got that the wrong way around. Should be wife first. But, uh, um, I mean, we were technically business partners before we got married, so perhaps that's yeah. the reason why that sprung to mind first. You are a smooth uh, man. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, we've um, yeah, we've obviously, Sarah and I have been together for a very long time. Um, I guess the motivation to get into property was probably similar to a lot of other developers, um, and it's the freedom um side of it so you know we're building a property portfolio for cash flow um so and i think you know for us it wasn't necessarily to try and create passive income that will allow us to you know take six months off at time and go on holiday although that's very nice um it was more a case of you know how could we start to build a business that brought money in every month so that we could then grow start to look at bigger projects different know aspects of business without those first ventures having to be kind of like make or break in order for yeah. for us to survive if that makes sense so yeah. uh, 
I mean, and, and behind that as well, Sarah and I are both like super passionate about property. Um, we had our, our first flat we owned in London. Um, we bought back in 2014. It was it was a real dump when we first bought it. Um, it was a two-bed flat in a, re- a really beautiful Victorian terrace conversion. Um, a landlord had had it for 10 years, hardly done anything to it. We then kind of completely converted it, um, brought it up to a really, really high spec and kind of like not really knowing how to uh, implement any property strategies. We kind of did quite a j- good job with that. We, um, we developed it, we refinanced it, um, a few years later on, pulled out the money that we actually needed to start the property journey. Um, and we subsequently rent that property. We've moved out of London since then. And that property now rents for the highest uh, uh, rental value for a two-bedroom property in the area. So, wow, yeah, we did well with that first one. And I think that was the point when we were like, okay, this property thing works. Um, you know, how can we, we grow a business uh, using the kind of passion and the skills and the design you know side that we we have wow i really like it so from there you sort of had the the taste then for for property and wanted to to get into that and i know that a lot of people these days they have a real clear vision of the type of business that and type of property business that they want to create and it sounds like you do as well did you did you sit and map this out so I guess at the beginning, we didn't really, we had a vision in that we knew we wanted to create a business that would generate like cash flow hmm. um, every month. But at that point, when we'd, we'd kind of done the flat and decided we wanted to get into property, we didn't, you know, we didn't know anything about the strategies that we're using now. Um, I mean, particularly, we didn't really know anything about the HMO market. Um, so we did decide at that point, so this was back in 2016, we thought, well, let's go and try and educate ourselves so um we kind of had a look around some of the different education suppliers we've we did a few kind of free preview days and then um sort of gradually worked our way through one of the um, property education systems so we we did one that was very much um classroom based so you know which definitely has its pros and its cons the good things for it were that we had a lot of information kind of taught to us very early on. Um, the downside to that was it didn't have a great deal of practical, like this is how you go out there and do it. Um, but the thing I suppose that we learned at that point was, you know, we wanted, our target was to get to £10,000 a month cash flow. Um, we wanted to do that in a relatively short space of time. And I think we realised that, you know, although the buy-to-let market um is good in that you can put a tenant in there and often they can stay there for a long time. We just realized we'd have to do so many of them in order to get to that point. Um, We decided that HMOs was the route that we wanted to go down. Um, So yeah, that's how we kind of started off with, with, um, with HMOs. Wow. So I completely agree. Cash for cash flow, HMOs are absolutely fantastic. Um, So you spoke a little bit there about about getting educated and you sort of touched on on why you decided to get educated but how did you pick who to educate you well i think it was it was the content that was the important thing for us at the time yeah. um, because we didn't have any real knowledge of you know how do you know hmo regulations work how 
Um, can you build a business around uh, property? What sort of you know marketing strategies are you supposed to employ? Should you be going, you know, to estate agents or should we be you know trying to go direct to vendor? So we, I suppose, that the diligence on the people that were educating us from our point of view was, you know, we just wanted the, the best content. Um, I found that some of the education providers focus a lot on, you know, like mindset and, and, and that kind of stuff, which I think there is definitely a place for that in the education side of it. And, and we've worked on mindset and it's been very powerful for us. But at that stage, we just really wanted to know more about the strategies. So, mm-hmm. so that's why we started with that type of education. And it was brilliant for us as a starting point. But I have to say, it, we did have uh, the problems we had. Was we spent about a year from when we actually first started that course trying to find property with very little success mm. uh, and it wasn't actually until the, a year after we started that that we brought on a full-time mentor um, and when we had a full-time mentor working with us for six months that's when we like we really saw a lot of success and, and he was very systems orientated as well so you know that's something that we had a passion for and, and we had a good fit with our mentor and that's been able that's sort of enabled us to, to build the systems that we've needed to grow so quickly. Wow. So what, what do you think was different then between the education and the, and doing the education course and actually having the mentor there all the time available for you? Well, I mean, I think the, the big difference is exactly what you've just said is you've got someone that's there for you all the time. So, you know, we had like a WhatsApp group with our mentor. If there was a question that we were stuck on, whether it be sat in front of a computer doing some due diligence or out on site looking at a property with a problem, we could fire him a question and I'd have an instant answer. And that's just not something that we got with the, you know, the education style, um, sorry, the classroom style education where you sit down, you sit down for a three day weekend and you, you absorb everything. Then you just go away and you try and implement it. Mm. Having someone who, and, and, the guy that was mentoring us, he was a couple of years ahead of us as well. So it's not like he was 20 years down the line with, you know, a huge, massive, great big portfolio of buy-to-lets that wasn't relevant to what we were doing. He had kind of recently walked the path that we were walking down. Mm. So, um, so that was huge. Um, you know, I think, and, you know, for us now, actually, we've sort of completely changed our approach with mentoring. I mean, in the past, it was not something I ever really thought about. Whereas now we are constantly trying to bring on new mentors. We're actually starting with a, another mentor in January who is um, much more focused around commercial conversions, which is where we want to kind of move on to next. So um, for us now, whenever we're looking at like a new strategy or, or um, you know, a, a slightly different direction in our business, we'll go out, we'll spend time trying to find the people that, have done well in that that sector and try and bring them on and and you know help mentor us wow it does it does sound like that coming that is coming through quite clearly through through this chat that you know you seem to you know what you want to do and then you'll find someone who's who's ahead of you and then get them to to mentor you and and to help you and yeah i mean i love the uh, one of the questions that i wrote down to actually just go into was about about the bigger projects actually and what are they and you've just touched upon the the commercial conversions how come you've decided to pick those well um a couple of reasons i suppose our our hmo projects are getting bigger and bigger 
Um, The first couple of projects that we did um, were five beds and we're actually one of the projects that we've got in the pipeline now that we're developing is an eight bed um, all en suite uh, over four stories. We had to get planning permission um, for that project. Obviously, you know, there's much more involvement with fire rigs and building control and all that kind of stuff. So we're, Mm. we've, our natural progression through with HMOs has been starting off on smaller projects that we could do relatively quickly into these much bigger projects that involve a lot of, I suppose, similar processes that we perhaps will be able to employ in commercial conversions. Mm. Um, The other attraction to, you know, the bigger projects obviously is, you know, the, you know, the finance side of it. Um, We can hopefully do, a smaller number of the bigger projects per year to equate to the kind of cash flow that we're getting over a bigger number of HMOs. It's kind of the same as at the beginning when we were looking at buy-to-lets or HMOs. Mm. You know, we knew we would need to do t- loads of buy-to-lets to you know, uh, give us one uh, or the amount of cash flow from one HMO. It's the same now. Looking, now the step up for us is, well, if we look at a bigger commercial project that we can convert into flats, Mm. or convert into a bigger HMO that gives us more cash flow, then that's better for us. Um, Secondly, I think, you know, in the year that we've had and the experience that we've had, we have seen the HMO market become extremely popular, um, particularly in our areas. Um, And that's certainly not a bad thing because I think the standard of uh, HMOs that people are developing is getting better and better and better, and that's only going to benefit the tenant. Um, However... I can see that eventually some areas do become saturated. Um, so, you know, our focus is going to be a little bit more on flats um, as opposed to, you know, massive, great big HMOs uh, next year. Mm, that's exactly what I was, um, I was just going to say to you, actually. I've, I've done quite a few of the commercial conversions and one of the things that I always try to do with them, the beauty with taking a commercial building, I believe, and turn it into a a residential is that a lot of the time you can do mixed use with it. So you could actually get some, a bit of commercial in there. You can get some smaller HMOs as flats, sort of like three, four, five bedders. And then you can also add some one beds to two beds in there as well. So it works quite well and you can, you can really de-risk the project, which is something that I really, really like. Um, just picking up there then. So one of the things that I know you're really, really passionate about is design. Yeah. And you said there that the HMOs are getting quite popular in the area. So what do you do to your HMOs to make them sort of pop and stand out? Okay. So, yeah, we definitely, both Sarah and I are very passionate about design. Um, I mean, my background before getting into property, I worked for several um sort of big interior design companies in London that were um, doing the internals for big luxury developments. So that's been always been my passion. And before this and directly before getting into property, I ran a a furniture company. So design was kind of extremely involved in that as well. Sarah's um, day job is uh, working for a law firm. Um, she kind of handles the legal side of some big hedge funds in London. Um, but she's got a really creative side to her as well. So property is definitely an outlet for her. So we're both very keen to try and, uh, trying to create a portfolio, one that we're proud of, which is important to us. But secondly, I think when you were talking about the vision, we, um, at the beginning, when we decided we were going to get into HMOs, we sort of looked at the market and 
we looked at the HMOs that seem to be doing very well. We're avoiding voids, um, you know, and were popular. And they were always the ones that were, you know, noticeably higher in terms of the design uh, and the quality and the finish that they've been produced. So, you know, for us, it was kind of a no-brainer, really. We were both re- we're both very passionate about design anyway. We constantly wanted to try and involve our HMOs as it is. Um, and then looking at how successful an HMO can be if you stand out from the competition, um, it didn't seem like it was logical for us for them to decide to start doing HMOs where we could do them as cheaply as possible, you yeah. know, just cram in tenants and, um, you know, n- just not worry about the finish. I mean, we we probably go even a little bit overboard, I would say. Um, you know, we when, when it comes to staging the property, we make sure that, you know, the soft furnishings, they've got little accessories and ornaments in their rooms. A lot of them, a lot of that we leave um, in the room so the tenant can literally turn up with a bag packed. And um, they're almost like little boutique hotel rooms, really. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I suppose that, that, was, that was the reason for the angle. And in fact, actually, um, we were at a property awards show or a property awards event a couple of weeks ago. And um, the people that were winning the awards were the people that were um, doing the high end, uh, you know, well-developed HMOs. Uh, so there's, there's clearly the market is moving that way for, from, the, from an HMO point of view. Yeah, definitely. Well, I actually won a property award for having a high end HMO. Um, well there you go. Which is, yeah. Hence one of the, the reasons for my question. So we've sort of talked about around, around what you've done, blah, 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 blah. But I want to get into the nitty gritty of that first deal. Cause you know what? There's nothing like a deal. The, the, that's why we do property for that buzz of that deal. So tell me about that first deal. How did you find it? How did you fund it? And then sort of take me through the timeline of that deal. Okay. So, I mean, finding the deal was like probably a, a topic on its own in that we, one of the issues that we had for the first year uh, was finding deals. Mm. And the, the education that we were given was basically go out and offer on as many properties as you possibly can. You know, just go and look at anything that's run down, offer as below market value as you possibly can, just trying to get a deal. You know, so we were quite often just offering 50, 60, 70,000 pounds under the asking price because that's what we needed in order for our numbers to stack up. Mm. And, I mean, the reaction normally from the estate agents are like, are you joking? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of long silences, uh, that kind of stuff. So we then kind of realized we needed a better approach so we this and this was sort of something which we worked with our mentor on uh we started working on with a system that essentially scrapes the data it's run by our one of our vas we have two vas that work for us one of them she scrapes the data from right move pumps it into this system and we've got a set of parameters that essentially give us a um return on investment on the back end based on an offer that is within a, a good region of, of what the sales price is. Mm. And that all works on the basis that, that the VA then goes and does the initial due diligence, looking at all the property values, and she then puts a done-up value into the system. So we, we kind of already have all the information before we're going to look at a property, yeah, um, which we didn't have before. So as soon as we started, this, started working with this system, it was like we just had more deals than we could handle, really. Um, and the first two properties that we bought, we basically bought simultaneously. 
um, we bought at the same time because we'd released some money from the the property in London. We had this cash to go. Two of these deals came up. They were both good deals, um, and they are actually still two of our best cash flowing properties. Um, probably the one that has the best story is um, these are both in sort of outskirts of Manchester. Um, one of them was a cannabis farm before we bought it. So um, <laughs> yeah. So it had a, it's got a very different sort of tenant profile in there now, I can tell you. Yeah. Um, and a cheaper electricity bill. Yeah, exactly. Well, they're actually paying for electricity, or we're paying for electricity now, whereas the, uh, the previous guys had, or the previous occupants had um, bypassed the uh, electricity meter, which is I one of the telltale signs that I learned. Yeah. So um, obviously it had had a fair amount of damage done to it. Um, it was actually a weird one when I first went to see it because it had all this damage done to it. And then upstairs, it had completely brand new carpets throughout, which I thought was a bit strange. But later found out the reason for that was there was like a foot deep of soil all upstairs where they were obviously you know, growing things. Amazing. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, we, we bought that property, got the builder in. Um, he obviously had a look around. We did some like initial... Uh, like a, a ballpark figure on what we thought the refurb was going to be. We got the builders to come around and confirm the prices that we had, had ballparked. Um, and yeah, we went ahead with it. We bought it and we bought that property in January. We finished it, I think in March or April time. Um, yeah. And it's now completely full. It's got five tenants in there. We actually turned that one into a um, two ensuite, and then it's got one uh, communal bathroom, which then, uh, three tenants share basically yeah um that one was definitely a learning curve that 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 property um obviously it had a lot of issues with it but one of the things that was a real learner for us was um managing builders we actually huh. yeah we had had quite a fallout with the builder on that particular project um and it was all down to uh the the quote basically mm. uh, something that i learned from that was, you know, a lot of builders will be quite vague at the beginning in terms of giving you prices. Um, I think we've probably all had that where you just get, you know, a list of a few bullet points and then a price at the bottom of an email. And um, and at the time, in our naivety, we, we went ahead like that and halfway through the project, the builder turned around and basically Hello. Sorry, I just thought I had a call come through. <laughs> okay. uh, yes. Sorry, we were halfway through, and uh, yeah, he turned around and essentially told us that the the project was going to almost double in cost. So, yeah, we obviously had, we had a fallout with the builder on that one. But it, so it, at that point, what did you do when he said that to you? What what was the response? Well, obviously, there was some fairly upset words between us. Yeah. Um, so. Fortunately, I had a sort of trail of conversation that had come, gone through a WhatsApp group that allowed us to sort of prove that we had covered off points that essentially the builder was saying we hadn't hadn't covered off. Yeah. Um, so that that definitely did help. Um, but you know, unfortunately, from that moment onwards, you know, we had a bad atmosphere between us and the builder. Yeah. The quality of the work dropped. Um, you know, even though we came to an agreement at that point of what he was going to do the job for, 
you know, there was a lot of corner cutting that kind of went off and, you know, consequently there was work that we had to put right at the end. So, you know, it wasn't a great experience from that point of view, but it, it taught me a lot, um, you know, of how we needed to be a little bit more organized on our end and giving the information to the builder probably a little bit sooner and making sure that we've got a more detailed quote um, or not even a quote. It's always an estimate, you know, which I under, which I understand. Um, it's a building. There are going to be things that come up during the build, hmm. but um, yeah, it's, it's that finding that balance between getting as much detail as you can and being accept, accepting that there will be a few issues here and there. Um, so yeah, that was a real, a real lesson on that, on that job. Wow. So what's the biggest thing then you've learned while you've been in property? Biggest thing I've learned, um, not to give up when things get tough. Yeah. I think. And I, I know that sounds cheesy and I'm sure that's blasted all over lots of people's inspirational Instagram posts. <laughs> but, but, um, you know, it's so true. There have been so many moments throughout the journey where we've had these kind of difficulties, um, you know, confrontation or, you know, it's, you're dealing with buildings a lot of the time, you know, that can be very old, uh, things come up, problems happen. Um, so, and I think that determination to just keep going, mm. uh, is something you, you, you need. And not only that, but actually what we've Sarah and I have, sort of accepted recently is whenever there's a problem we try to instead of like getting really upset about it take out the positives which is what we've learned from that situation um Mm -hmm. someone said to me recently that you have to feel pain to truly feel like you're living yeah and I, i totally get that um you know if you go through life trying to avoid all the problems you're probably not going to be achieving too much because you know, it's often the most difficult paths, you know, and the most challenging ones that are the most rewarding at the end. Mm. Um, you know, and scaling as quickly as we have and buying the number of properties that we have in such a short space of time uh, has been a challenge. So, yeah, I think that, that it is a mindset thing, but, yeah, just not giving up when, you get, when things get tough because when you get through the challenges and when you get through the problems, the feeling, just the feeling of reward at the other end, I just, is is very hard to match i think mm. and it's why we all do it really so how many deals have you done then since that first one so essentially from january uh this year to where we are now we've done six deals all of which are hmos um and we've actually got a seventh one which is in the pipeline which we're hoping we're going to close uh before the end of the year um most of our cash flow uh, most of our um, HMOs. I mean, certainly the five beds, they tend to be gross rent at about 2,600. Mm-hmm. And then we cash flow between sort of 1,200 and 1,300 pounds um, per HMO. So, um, and then obviously the bigger ones, uh, they, they go up and we get a bit more cash flow out of them. But essentially, the goal at the beginning of the year was to try and get to that 10 grand a month cash flow. And with all the deals that we've actually done uh, this year, once they're all complete, um, that will get us to our target and and we should have them all done by March, April next year. Uh, good time to be done as well. And then you can really start to look at some of the, the bigger ones and take the next step. And I've got no doubt that that's going to be a, a good step and, and going to be quite successful for you. Um, one of the things that I've been desperate to get to then 
uh, when we've been talking is you mentioned outsourcing and people who listen to this podcast or who know me know I'm an absolute geek when it comes to outsourcing systems and tech. So how did you, because I know that you've got a couple of VAs, how did you go about identifying what to outsource? So uh, I think probably number one was the uh, influence that the book, The 4-Hour Workweek, had on us. was massive, um, written by a guy called Tim Ferriss. Um, He uses VAs to outsource so many parts of his life in order for him to be able to then go and enjoy his life before he hits retirement. That was kind of the premise of the book. So we, we, we sort of used that model a little bit in, in how we identify what we're going to outsource, mainly because it's, it's always the time-consuming uh, tasks, especially the ones when you sit down in front of a computer that, are, that tend to, to hold you back from the important things, which are often going out, finding deals, speaking to people, you know, raising finance, all the important parts of the business that we we have to be involved in. Um, and then the other thing as well was uh, the system that we have now to find deals is quite labor intensive mm. in terms of you've got to go through right move and you've got to be pump, putting all the properties in. You've got to do all your due diligence on the properties. Um, <coughs> you've then got to then work out which properties we're going to view. And when we actually go and have a viewing day, now what we do is we have the VAs schedule in all the um, appointments. So mm-hmm. we're essentially just turning up and looking at those properties. They've all been pre-scheduled by the VAs. So, and even doing something like that in the beginning just took so long. I mean, if we were going up to Manchester, we're based down in the south. If we were going up to Manchester, we'd want to see as many pr- properties as possible. And say we were getting in 20, 25 properties over a weekend, just working out where they all are and how you're going to drive around them. Yeah. With, with short slots, just took, took ages. So that was a, that was another big thing. Um, and since then, the VAs have, I mean, we've had the VAs, both of VAs now for, for a year. One's been over a year, one's almost a year. Um, and they are growing in, in the business. They are understanding UK property now from what we're teaching them. Mm. And they're able to handle um, much more complicated tasks. Um, they're doing a lot of stuff for us on social media. Um, one of our VAs does copywriting for blog posts, um, which once we get our website live will be something that she'll be implementing. Accounting, uh, handling zero. Uh, we've, got a, we've got a system just for managing utilities. So when we buy a property, making sure the council tax is set up, water, gas, electricity, all of that is handled by the VAs. Um, we have a WhatsApp group which uh, deals with our builders and we're actually thinking about bringing the VAs into that so that she, our VAs can be chasing snags and handling all that kind of stuff. Um, they've even been helping find tenants for us. So uh, we actually have like a shared, uh, well, our letting agent has a spare room account and um, we have access to the back end of it. And um, one of the VAs, when we get a new property, she will go on to spare room, have a look at all of the people that are looking for um, rooms at the time and message them and ask them if they're interested. To, you know, she will direct them to our advert, ask them if, if they're interested in this particular property. And then if they are, she'll then pass that detail on to our 
our letting agent so the letting agent can then follow up and you know get the ball mo- um, moving with them and we found that's been really really powerful our last property um, that we had finished I think we had something like 10 um, tenants wanting to come and view the property like two weeks before we'd even finished it we hadn't even put kitchens and things like that in so um, yeah I think that's for us it was okay if we're going to scale really quickly there's only two of us here how are we going to be able to bring in other people to the business that we can use to leverage their time to do the day-to-day stuff so that we can be focusing on growing the business and you know doing the important things that that we need to move forward Mm, i love it and i mean i'm a massive fan of of vas i've got um, a couple of other businesses away from property and they are intensely involved with VA. So when I got into property, it was like, okay, well, I've already got this VA who knows how I work and who knows, you know, she can do complex tasks already. And I think that's the thing. A lot of people, they think, oh yeah, but it's, you know, it's a VA, they're based somewhere else. They're sort of almost scared to give them a complex task, but it's exactly the same as any other staff member. If you train them right, they will be able to to do that task and they will grow with your business. And, you know, my VA is a huge part of, of my, of my business and she does so much for me and she handles some seriously complicated stuff and she does it as well as anybody. Um, otherwise she wouldn't be doing it. Um, so if, you know, if she can do that, then, then that's, that's great. One of my favorite, um, things is actually, it's called magic. It's a website called getmagic.com and you can literally just, if you, this is more if you just want something doing quick, um, you can just text them and they'll sort it out for you. So I use that all the time, um, like to book, if, I'm, if, I, if I get an email going or a text from my dentist saying, can you book a six month checkup is due, I just text them and go, can you deal with this for me? And they just book me in. Um, I think the power of that, of VAs and technology combined, You've, you've touched on it there where you, you've created this system so it's, it's sort of made your viewing so much better and you've got all that information. I, I, I just love it and I think it's, it's definitely speeded up your, your success and the ability to, to move as quick as you have, um, yeah. which is incredible. And I'm, I'm geeking out massively <laughs> about that and I definitely want to talk to you off air about this, this system that you've built. Definitely. Um, so now we've come to the point where I always ask three questions to every single guest. And the first one is when you think of the word successful, who's the first person who comes to mind and why? Uh, I think it's going to have to be Tim Ferriss. I knew you were going to go for Tim. <laughs> uh, obviously, I've already mentioned him. And he's just such a big inspiration to both Sarah and I. Mm. Uh, when I read that book, The 4-Hour Work Week, obviously it gave us a lot of ideas for the business, but what I really got from him was his passion for life experience um, yeah. rather than just zeros in the bank account. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's really resonated with me. Sarah's Australian. Um, so we spend a lot of time kind of going, being between here and Australia. And, and, and in the future, we would like to be able to spend more time doing that. And, you know, the, the, you need to have finance coming in in order for you to be able to afford to do those things, um, sure. let's face it. So I think that was, you know, that n- number one, a very exper- uh, inspirational book, but h- him as a person um, 
and now we we follow a lot of things that he does. He has an amazing podcast as well. Um, so yeah, in terms of success and life success, it would be would be Tim Ferriss. I thought you were gonna you were gonna say that. Uh, I think he's cracking as well. I've read pretty much everything he's done. I've even battled Tools of Titans uh, and also the Mentors book as well, um, yeah. which are both yeah. massive reads. Yeah. Oh my god, that was that's a big and that that took me yeah. a while, but it is yeah. a cracker. Um, so the next question: um, What is the book that has had the biggest impact on you? Well. You could probably guess this one, but yeah. it's going to be. The, but I'll, I'll give you two since I've um, talked since I've harped on about Tim Ferriss and the Four Hour Work Week. Obviously, the Four Hour Work Week, um, but one I've actually read recently, which I know is probably a lot of people have already read, um, is Secrets of a Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Eker. Um, so that one got recommended to me from a course we were on, actually, and reading it, it. Um, the thing that resonated with me was identifying your own sort of self-sabotage patterns that you've had like, imprinted into you from your upbringing as a child, basically. Yeah. Um, so, and that one definitely made me realize that I've got quite a few of my own self-sabotage patterns. And I think just identifying them, because um, a lot of the time you go through life and you don't even know you have these things. And, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so just being able to identify some of the things that clearly are holding me back, I suppose, has been quite powerful and it's something that now I can I can work on. Hmm. I like it. And if uh, just for regular listeners, they will know that if you share this podcast up around the social medias, then at the end of the month, every single person that I've interviewed or since the last giveaway, I will, for one share, you get one entry into the competition. I will give away all of those books for the people that have... Um, shared and that I've interviewed and have said these books have had a big impact on their life so the last question before I let you go is what is the worst advice you see or hear in the property world okay I think the worst advice is that you don't need money to get into property Mm. Um, and I think there are a lot of people out there that will tell you that Um, But the reality is, in some way or another, you need money, whether that's your money or someone else's money, that's that's different. But if it's someone else's money, then you need to learn how to obviously raise finance. Um, We were fortunate in that we had some capital to get going. Um, So, you know, we didn't have to immediately go out there and start raising finance. We we proved the concept a couple of times um, with HMOs were financed by us first before we went to um, investors. And I think that's that's worked very well for us. I mean, the investors that we've got on board um, are great. They love working with us. And I think having that experience from the beginning um, uh, certainly helped. Uh, if Obviously, there are people out there that will want to get into property without any money, and, and I, I totally understand that. Um, and I think, you know, routes, down, routes like sourcing and rent-to-rent, they're all powerful strategies, but there is still some finance that is required in order to even start those businesses. You know, if you're going to start a sourcing business, you'll need some kind of marketing budget. Um, you know, there will be uh, some cost behind, I suppose, starting any business. So, yeah, that, that advice that you can start property with no money, I just don't think is true. Um, you need some kind of money, whether that's either raising funds from 
um, uh, investors or having some kind of small amount of capital to start up with the marketing budgets. I think that's so important. Fantastic. So I'm going to let you go now. I think you've been a fantastic guest and I'm sure everybody listening to this is going to agree. So if people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to, to get to you? I mean, obviously we are very active on Instagram. Um, so you can see obviously the projects that we're, or any live projects that we're involved in. Um, our handle is May Green Investments. Uh, you can email me, um, my email is rob at maygreengroup.com and hopefully very soon we will have a website up and running. Um, it's been unfortunately one of those things that's kind of been put to the back of the list with such a busy year, but by next year we should have a website up and running and obviously, again, we'll be updating that and you'll be able to see and contact us via the website. Fantastic. And I will put those links below as well so that people will be able to to get to you pretty quickly. So thank you very much, Rob, for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me, Ryan. It's been great to chat.